0: Going on the word that the Lord gave me last week, we're not going to have karaoke Bible for a few weeks. Be patient with us. If you are really dependent on that, as is I'll be patient with you. I use the NIV translation if you would like to follow along. If you cannot afford a paper Bible, we have one for free in the back or you can use your phone. We want to encourage you to work the word because it will work for you. Last week, when the karaoke screen was off and I was re listening to the message, and I might have said it the wrong way, we got a little confused, but no one or not a lot were following in their paper Bible. And I had a little alarm go off bing, bing, bing. We got a problem here. We're getting too used to the karaoke screen. And so, for some of you who are new to Christianity and all you know is this karaoke screen, I want you to go back to the old school, pick up a Bible. Learn how to hold it and use it. And if you use your phone, that's fine. That's new school. I'm totally with you on that as I have my phone as well. But this is the key that I want you to get from this season because we'll go back to this. Lord willing, we'll go back. No big deal. It's up there for a reason. It's helpful. But here's what I want you to get from this, to know where books of the Bible are. Table of contents, if you don't know it, I'll always say the name just like I did. John, go to the table of contents if you don't know where it is. It's a New Testament book if you hear a book like Zephaniah or something like that, it might be more complicated for some of you. Table of contents, right? Big numbers are chapters, little numbers are verses. Let's make sure we learn how to use this word because this is our battle sword and it's also our daily bread. So it protects us from the enemy and it nourishes our soul. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So I expect for you as a Christian to be able to do this, though you may not be able to do it right now. If all of you can't do it right now, we're going to help you until everybody can, and we won't judge those who are new to this. But some of us are not just new to this. We true to this, okay? We've been doing this for a while, and uh, some of us remember when it used to be the King James. Did anybody grow up in a church where it was King James? A few? A few? Come on. All right, nobody can relate to that. I guess a few of us but not many of you. That's okay cuz a lot of you this is your first church. How many of you this is like your first real church, attending church, being born again and living for Jesus? How many of you is like that? How many of you don't like to raise hands when you're asked questions? Okay, now that kind of contradicts, doesn't it? Yeah, because then I'm making you raise a hand. Let's go to John chapter 18, verse 1. Shall I not drink this cup is the name of this message. We are now entering into the season of Jesus' life where he is about ready to be betrayed and crucified, buried, and rose from the dead. John 18, verse 1, when he had left or finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and what? Come on, somebody say weapons. Thank you. I just want you to look up at me. If you can now, please think about this. Jesus is being betrayed by one of his 12 disciples. Anyone here who's ever been betrayed, you can relate to this. You can relate to this. Betrayal is a part of life. Jesus knows what it's like for people to let him down, for people to break their word, their promises, for people to look out for their own self at the expense of others. This is selfishness. Betrayal comes from pride, selfishness, oftentimes other things like jealousy, bitterness are at the root of those things. But this doesn't take Jesus by surprise. Jesus prophesied this and understood that this would happen, that someone would betray him. It was it spoke about in the Psalms. David had re, had also had this happen to him and he wrote about it and he said, someone that I ate my meal with has betrayed me. And Jesus said earlier in the book of John, the one I dip my hand in, uh, the bread, you know, the dip right there is the one that." It's going to betray me, and so Jesus had an understanding that this was going to come. But how many of you have been betrayed and didn't know it was going to happen? You see, betrayal I think hurts even more when you don't see it happening because you understand one thing, but that other person's doing another thing. I remember when I was a young person. I used to be young, believe it or not, didn't have gray hair, and I was dating a young lady. She was in college. I had started ministry already. I was about 22, 23 years old, and we were getting serious. It was a distance, you know, long-distance relationship. I was in New Orleans. She was in Minneapolis, but I felt like it was right. I felt like that one was the one for me, and so I had planned a trip to surprise her, and to have her pick me up at the airport. And then from there, I was going to meet her family to go pick out a ring and later that night to ask her to marry me. So I had arranged all of these things with the family. And so she's picking me up. I traveled on the plane with roses. Everybody go, oh, come on. I'm not very romantic, but I do get some things right. So I'm on the plane with roses, man. I mean, you know what this feels like as a dude. Come on, every dude, like, look up at me, every dude. You know what this feels like. You feel weird, but you feel like my girl is worth it. Everybody's looking at me. I have to explain it to the stewardess. You know, she's saying how cute this is. I'm telling people the story. But, you know, like, I'm I'm taking a hit for this. I'm taking a hit. And this was uh, before 9-11. This is where you could meet people when they get right off the plane. She's there right when I get off the plane, and she's there to meet me. But when I see her, her face is totally different. So they told her, go to the plane, wait for someone to come off that plane. And I, I'm pretty sure she knew who it was, right? So I'm seeing her. She's seeing me. But it's not like, ah, it's, it's you. It's Joe. I can't wait to see you. No, no, no. It's absolute sadness, as if she had already been crying. This is where one of the worst days of my life began. So then I talk to her. Hey, how you doing? Not so good. I need to talk to you. We get into her car right out of the airport. We pull over somewhere. I can't remember where it was. And she's. I've got. She says I got to tell you this. I have cheated on you. I have not been faithful. And then she tells me this whole story. And then I have her drop me off at my friend's house, and everything that I had planned just vanished right at that moment. Somebody say betrayal hurts. Come on, it hurts. I didn't have a prophecy of that. Jesus had a prophecy. I'm not saying it necessarily made it easier because what he's about ready to go through, I don't think anyone has faced to that level. I think the kind of betrayal he's going to face and the way humanity as a whole betrays their creator, that's on a whole nother level. But I can just speak from the herd of that. When we get betrayed, we oftentimes start asking ourselves, what did I do wrong? How did I not see this? What could I have done differently? But here's the thing, my friends. You can't understand stupidity. You can't understand stupidity. Wisdom and stupidity are totally opposite. You can't use wisdom to understand stupidity other than just saying it is what it is. It's stupid. It's foolish. You can't understand sin with a righteous mind. A righteous mind will never see sin as a good thing. There are many of you here that you've been betrayed in marriage. So my story is nothing compared to yours. Please, I'm not trying to compare it in that way. I'm just saying puppy love may be be just puppy love, but it's still real to the puppy. My little heart was broken after nine months of a relationship, but I can't even imagine those who have been married and you were cheated on by someone that you love or someone that you had a child with. And these are the kinds of things we deal with in our society all the time. And then you try to understand it, and you try to think about it, like, how could they do this? If you are a loyal person, you'll never understand how they can do it, because it's sin, it's folly, it's stupidity. And then let me say this, because I know what kind of church I pastor, some of y'all here are the cheaters. (laughs) Some of you are the one that broke up marriages. Some of you are the one that had to serve some time for the crime. And you betrayed your job. You betrayed your boss. You betrayed your society. And I can also say that I was that too as a sinner. My daughter's here and she doesn't even know some of these stories, so I have to be careful. But, you know, I can tell her now that I'm saved, don't be like this. But I remember being at a party, and my best friend or one of my close friends, girlfriends, came on to me, and we did naughty things together. And I remember the look on his face when he found out about it. But at that stage of my life, I was such a sinner, I felt nothing for him. I just felt like, hey, man, that's your girl. She decided to do this. I'm not going to say no. You deal with it. You see, I was a betrayer. Now, think about yourself. You might say, well, hey, you know, Joe, I've never betrayed in a relationship. But have you betrayed God? Have you said to God, I'm going to do one thing, and then when the devil, you know, sends you a DM, the devil whispers your name, the, the devil, you know, asks you to come do something, you cheat on God with the devil? You might be thinking, man, I didn't know that language existed in the Bible. It absolutely does. Go to the book of James with me. The Bible actually calls Christians who cheat on God adulterers. I don't know if you knew that. How many you already knew that in the Bible? Can I hear an amen? Go to the book of James. I believe it's going to be chapter 3. Or excuse me, chapter 4, the book of James, written by one of the half-brothers of Jesus. James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means animity towards God? That means you are fighting against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a what of the world? To be a friend of the world becomes a blank of God. What is that blank? Becomes a enemy of God, or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Notice that the Bible says God is justifiably jealous when we live in sin. And you could feel justifiably jealous if someone you love and who made a commitment starts cheating on you. That kind of jealousy is that of God's. In other words, there is an attribute of jealousy that is not sin. We oftentimes think of jealousy only in the sense of sin, but this attribute is also attributed to God. God gets jealous, and I know that this bothers people because Oprah Winfrey said this was one of the things that made her walk away from God. She said she was in a church, she was whooping and hollering, she was enjoying the culture of it, but then she heard the preacher say that God is a jealous God, and then it made her think. God is jealous? If he's the creator, what would he be jealous of? What could we possibly have? That kind of God is petty. So then she started denying the Christian God and started looking for a new age God. But you see, a new age God is a God without emotions. It's a God that's just a mere force, like an energy. How many know we're made in the image of God, and that means we share personality traits that God also has? How many know today, you don't just have energy flowing through you. You have a soul with a personality. So to now say, I don't like this about God, and hey, Oprah, it gets a lot more serious than that. The Bible also said that God hates. The Bible says that God hates, and the Bible says that God gets angry, and the Bible says that God gets disgusted, and the Bible says all kinds of things you may not like about his emotions. But here's the thing. He's God. You're not. Deal with it. And the fact that they get offended by God's emotion shows me that they're not made in the image of electricity, a God force like Star Wars, but they are made in the God of an emotion because they're having an emotion towards God. So you can just show the fool their folly. But we pray for Oprah, amen? But notice this, God says to us, we can be just like Judas if we betray him and put our uh, Affections are desires towards the world instead of him. Go to First John, please. First John chapter 2 talks about where our affections belong, where they should be placed, Lest we just all look at Judas and say, "Oh, what a bad guy he is and don't understand that. Many of us are adulterers cheating on God, betraying him right now. We have to be honest with ourselves. Are we in love with Jesus? Are we faithful to Jesus? How many are faithful to Jesus here? Come on, don't be a cheater here. You remember when the show Cheaters came out? That was an hilarious show, wasn't it? I watched it for the humor. I'm sorry I'm that kind of guy. There was a lot of heartbreak there, but it was hilarious. It reminded me of the show How to Catch a Predator because people lie, 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 lie. Isn't it true when the Bible says all men are liars in one way or another? We will lie to get away with things. And I would watch that show and they would show the interviews and how the woman or the man would say they're in love with their spouse and they would have no issue with their spouse and then they would do these setups and these things and even when everything would be brought to light, they would keep lying until receipt after receipt after receipt was brought out and then they would have no choice. And even then, sometimes they would just keep lying and lying and lying. Look at First John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Why is it we encourage people to follow God and keep his commands? Because the will of God, the love of God endures forever. When we teach people the commands of Jesus Christ, we're not doing that to their detriment. We're doing that to their blessing. We're doing that to their uplifting. Uh, As I'm going through the year Bible right now, I'm in Psalm 119, and it's all about the law of God and how beautiful the morals of God are. And they uplift the soul. But yet, there are many of us, and as a Christian, I can relate to it, I've fallen into temptation to love the world, to love the things of the world, the things that are so easily uh, deceptive. When my heart is tempted to lust after someone other than my wife, do you know that not only if I give in to that lust, am I sinning against my wife and the covenant I made with her, not only am I betraying that trust, but I'm betraying the trust that God has within me to love Him and to honor Him. In other words, who do we sin against the most? Even when we sin against people, it's mostly against God. Sometimes people think, no, it's just against this person. It's just against this person. You know what? Our marriage hasn't been right, and so I deserve to get a break. I deserve this. And they think that because there's a situation that this person has put them in, that they now can sin and it not be an issue. They justify themselves by the actions of others. And yet David said when he sinned in Psalms, he said, no, it's not really like that. Who have I really sinned against? It's you, Lord, that I've sinned against. It's not that when I cuss out the person in traffic, it's like, man, you deserve that. You're the knucklehead doing that. No, no, I'm sinning against God because God told me not to treat my neighbor that way. We don't act like the world because we're not of the world. We have been born again from another world, from heaven. We are now children of God. We live like Jesus. Jesus is our role model. Just like in my house, there are rules. And if my children go outside of the house and they break the rules and they say it's because of X, Y, and Z situation, that does not fly in my house. How many have ever heard a parent say, not in our house? I don't care what your neighbors do. I don't care what your friends do. We're not doing that here. Can I hear an amen? The Christian is like that, not in my life. I don't care what the world does. I don't care how the world settles their problems. I don't care if they hate their enemy. Bible has commanded me to love my enemy. Can I still rebuke them? Can I still be strong against them in what I believe is right? Can I combat with them in the sense of a worldview? Do do I debate? Do I contradict their foolishness? Absolutely. Do I protest what they do when it brings down a society? Of course. And if it comes to a just war, will we go to war to defend our beliefs and our morals? Absolutely. I believe in the Old Testament. Can I hear an amen? There's a time for war and there's a time for peace. But never get it twisted. Even in our most extreme fights for justice, we never fight the way the world fights. We never do it, whether it's an argument, whether it's going to war. We are held to a higher standard. We are Christians. Amen? I know that you wish. I wish you lived in the world, and we all wish we lived in the world of a yellow brick road, but I still believe in Christian soldiers, Christian police officers, Christian governmental leaders, and I still believe in Christian people working in jails. Can I hear an amen? And so, yes, I'm not saying we let everybody walk all over us, but what I'm saying is as Christians, we bring about justice in a just way. If by bringing about justice, we ourselves have become unjust, then we now, offering a cure, are worse than the disease, as the old saying goes. So we as Christians, when we're in an argument, we don't argue like the world. We're in a debate, we don't debate like the world. When we're standing against injustice on our job, we don't do it like the world with backbiting. When we're dealing with issues in our politics and in our government, we don't do it on the sneaky sneak and the sly. We don't do it with broken promises. We do it up front in boldness with the Word of God. Amen? And so we are not those who betray, in other words. I just want to say that clearly. We as Christians may not agree with everything the world does, but we are not traitors. We keep our covenants. We keep our agreements. And I do agree with the accusation against the church when the LGBT says it. They are correct in this sense that you want us to obey the morals of one man, one woman, but you don't obey the morals of not having divorce. As Christians, you're hypocrites. In other words, because of heterosexuals destroying the foundations of marriage, we now have a plank in our eye, as we point out the speck in their eye, of gay marriage and homosexual marriage. Are you listening? Let's get our house right. Let's get our house in order. Let us, when we preach against their perverse lifestyle, be able to say we don't have sex with our girlfriends until we are married and they become our wives, men. We stick with our wives through thick and thin till death do us part. We raise our children into things of God. Now we stand on the higher ground and can condemn that wicked behavior for what it is, praying for their salvation. Amen? The same thing is that's been levied against us, and it is true because I am a product of the late 70s and 80s that you pro-life people are pro-life at the protest, but not pro-life in the inner city, not pro-life in adoption. We will now rebuke that and rebut that in Jesus' name. We will adopt. We will serve. We will be there in troubled areas because it's better for us to be there helping children that are born than to think the solution is to murder them so that they never live. But we as Christians, before we say we are pro-life, we need to show that we are pro-life from the womb to the tomb. That's why I love when I go preaching with those of you in your testimonies here and you can say that, yes, you had been in those situations as getting an abortion or supporting an abortion if you were a man, but now you are a Christian and you will adopt, you will bring people into your home, you will go to the inner city, and now there's nothing they can say to us except just flick us off. And when they give us one finger, we give them two fingers, There was literally a woman the last time we were at the abortion clinic taking a selfie like this because we were the crowd behind. She was taking a selfie with her middle finger out, and I was the first one standing in front of the crowd. While she was flicking me off doing this, I was smiling doing this. Yes, we laugh in the face of our enemy. As Martin Luther King Jr. said, "Do do not allow someone to bring you so low as to hate them. We will not fight with hate. We will not fight out of mere human anger. It does not produce the righteousness of God. If we are angry, we are in self-control and we do things through God's ways. I say all of that to say we are not Judases. Once again, we are not traitors. Now go into the world and make a difference. Go into the world and make a difference. Show that you keep your word. Show that you keep your promise. Maybe i got a few more moments here on this one. Show me, brothers and sisters, your work ethic on your job is worthy of being called a Christian. Do not use your Christianity to be slack on your job. Use your Christianity to be like Daniel in Babylon to be the best. Chick-fil-A is the best. Hobby Lobby is the best. Christian sports people are the best. We are the best. We should be the best from from every place we work, whether we're an employee at Chick-fil-A, whether we own our own business, whether we're cutting grass. It doesn't matter. We are Christians. We keep our word. We come early. We stay late. We do not betray in Jesus' name. Amen? And I believe when we do that, God will favor us and God will honor us. But if you look at Judas, going back to the story of Jesus, he had no respect for Jesus. He had no honor for Jesus. And he only wanted what he could get from Jesus. And so the, you know, the question is that theologians wrestle with is why does he betray Jesus? Well, there's a whole lot of answers out there. And if you've got three theologians together, you'll have four opinions, okay? My best guess is that he wanted a revolution from Jesus, very similar to Peter. He saw that Jesus wasn't doing that, so he became impatient with Jesus. And so he started making deals on the side. He started also stealing from Jesus because he wanted to rule with the Messiah. The the Messiah to the Jewish people would be a ruler like David and would conquer people but they didn't understand that that would come after the death, burial, and resurrection, the Isaiah 53 suffering servant. In other words, there were two passages, two groups of passages that spoke about the Messiah. One as a mighty king, another one as a suffering servant, and they didn't know how to harmonize those. So I believe out of his well-intentioned desire for Israel to be on top, he began to be corrupt. What do I compare this to in my own camp? These are the conservatives that want America to be so great again, they'll lie, they'll cover up, and they'll be no different than the liberals that they're fighting. Their junk will get exposed, their lifestyles will be exposed, but they do it all in the name of conservatism, like storming the Capitol like a bunch of idiots. Can I hear an amen to that being idiotic? Half of you? How many believe we can solve our problems without storming the Capitol like idiots? Amen. See, when I became popular during the time of COVID, everybody wanted me to support that garbage. And I told them, this is not the way. If there is a civil war, it will be done at a last expense, at a last way of doing things. But we have not even come close to doing that. And to do something like this is an act of war. And uh, the idea that there was conspiracies there, I'm not against that. Possibly maybe there were liberals pretending to be uh, conservatives that did it and set the stage. But we know for a fact that there were foolish, idiotic conservatives that ran in there thinking that was the plan, whether they were set up or not. That's not what we do. And people would say back to me at that time, well, you don't understand. The National Guard is going to all this QAnon nonsense. And I warned about that. We are Christians. We are not conspiracy theorists. We follow Peter, James, and John, not, not Alex, whatever that guy's name is. What is that? Alex Jones, another sinner on his way to hell with a foul mouth. That's how I think about Judas. Perfect example. I can Alex Jones, wanting it so bad. will do whatever it takes. That's not Christians. We are not like that. We may have passion. We, we may have masculinity. We may have a fight in us. We may have all of these things, but we don't do it like that in Jesus' name. Are you listening? Because you're about ready to hear about Peter cutting off the ear of Malchus, and we don't do that. Not like that. That's not what we do. And so I remember all of those things happening, and then people were saying back to me, oh, you're not, you're not really on our side. You're not really, see, that's what it was like with Judas. Well, if Jesus was really on our side, then we would storm the capital. We would storm Rome. We would, this, we would do this. So Jesus, you're not doing that. Well, then I'm going to steal a little bit. And I'm going to do this a little bit. Let me just call out another one of these guys, Louder with Crowder, Stephen Crowder, mistreating his wife, cursing at his wife. And this was like a champion of conservative values. That's what a Judas looks like to me. Do you understand, brothers and sisters? We don't treat our wives like that. We don't cuss them out. We don't act like jerks. We don't say that's all justified because we have some stance over here that's correct. I know the right answer on a math test, so now I can cuss out my fellow math student No, just because we're right about how things should be ran in America, there should be freedoms, there should not be rioting on the streets, does not now mean that we commit these other evils. Can I hear an amen? That's what I believe in as a pastor. I've always believed in that. And it discourages me when I see Christians fall for the same lies of Judas because that's what I think happened to him. He became corrupt with his so-called good intentions, I want to see this, and I want to see that. And then before you know it, you're getting exposed, cursing out your wife. And before you know it, you're running up into the White House looking for Nancy Pelosi. And then before you know it, you're putting all over your Facebook that the National Guard's about ready to take over America. That's what happens when you allow yourself to be controlled by an ideology that's not filtered by the Word of God. And the liberals obviously are worse. I do believe in worse evil. Some people are like, we're all just thinners. We all have our issues. No, y'all got some worse issues. I was watching a financial show on Netflix the other day with my dad. He's almost 80 years old. By God's grace, he'll be in the second service. Talk to some Christians who've been serving the Lord for 50 years, married for 50 years. Talk to them. They'll be coming in to the second service if you want to see some Christians. Been around for a while. I'm watching a financial show with my dad on Netflix. This guy goes around, helps people put their uh, finances in order. My dad was a financial planner. I'm like, this is a good show to watch with my dad, you know? Pause it every now and then, Dad, what about that advice? What do you think about this? Should she she sell the house? Does she need to cut up every credit card? Like, I want to know what's going on. No, get out of debt. I'm hanging out with my dad. Okay, here's the next person. Here's the next person he's going to help. The show starts the guy's life in a drag show strip club. You see a guy with a beard with glitter on, eyelashes, shaking his fanny on top of a bar. Hello, we're going to meet Gary now. The financial advisor goes into the bar. I said, this is how brainwashed we are. We are watching a show about finances, and they want to normalize some of the most grotesque perversion our society has ever seen. I remember growing up hearing about in Galatians chapter 5 that it's a sin to have an orgy. It's a sin to do this. And I was thinking to myself, we can't even say that in the suburbs of Fort Wayne, Indiana. You know, we would get by, you know, in the deeds of the flesh are orgies. And then we just go along. Don't talk about that here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We're We're decent people. We're farmland people. We have Mennonites and Amish down the road. And now this is normal. This is the world we live in. So yes, there are greater evils, and that's an example of a greater evil. But I just want to say to you, whether it's a greater evil or a lesser evil, yes, all evil will be judged and condemned, and it will be in hell. But the Bible says there are gradients of heaven, and then there are gradients of hell. All heaven will not be the same for all of us. Can I hear an amen? There will be rewards, and then there will be rewards, praise God. And then hell will be hot, and then, whoa, it's going to be hot, (laughs) That's what the Bible says. I could show you that in another discussion. But it's all not the same in heaven when we come to rule and reign with Christ, and it's all not the same in hell. Going back to our scripture, John chapter 18, don't be a Judas. Don't use good intentions to betray. Follow good intentions to their logical end. Do it by the scripture. If there's trouble in your marriage and your needs are not being met, then go about the proper channels. Pray for your wife, your husband. If you're on your job and it's not going the way you think it should go, pray for your job. Pray for opportunities of new employment. We do not use our good intentions, as Judas did, to betray. That's just something I hope encourages you. Look at your neighbor and say, that's not the sermon. That's just on our way to the sermon. <laughs> Remember, the name of the servant is, not don't betray. The name of the servant is, will he not drink this cup? Shall I not drink the cup? Let's keep going. Verse 4, Jesus knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am. The word he is not even in the original Greek. He said, I am. Ego am I. Jesus said that, and Judas' traitor was standing right there with him. When Jesus said, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. When Jesus said, I am, he was declaring the divine name of God. Think about that, brothers and sisters. Go quickly with me to John chapter 8. Just want to show you this in 50, verse 58. John 8, 58. When Jesus said before Abraham was, I am, was he just simply saying the English words I am or the Greek words ego am I, like I'm there presently? Or was he referring back to the divine name of God, the I am that I am? How do we know which one it is? Look at the context. John chapter 8, verse 58. Speaking about his pre existence, he said, Truly, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus slipped, uh, Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple. So, was Jesus just simply saying to these Jews, Hey, I've been around for a while, or was he declaring himself to be God? Declaring himself to be God, that's why they wanted to stone him, because that was breaking their law, that was blasphemy. Go quickly to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10, and see how the Term, I am, was used by God in the Old Testament. Isaiah is one of those Old Testament books that may not come easy to you, but if you go to your table of contents, it's I-S-A-I-A-H. Isaiah chapter 43. Verse 10, notice how the God of the Bible speaks about himself, and it's just not the same as Jesus. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant who I am chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am. Your Bible has he there because it wants it to try to help you to understand it, but just like in the Greek as well with the Hebrew, the word he is not present. God says, I am. So you can know this. Be witnesses of this. I am. That is the same language of Jesus. Now go back to John chapter 18. What happens when Jesus says, I am? They fall backwards. They get boom shakalaka by the power of God. These soldiers are coming to arrest Jesus, and he declares the divine name of God, I am. I am that I am, and they instantly fall back. That shows you who Jesus is. Jesus is the great I am. But everybody capture this. Get this. After that, what still happens? He allows himself to be arrested. Isn't that what the Bible says? Jesus saying, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. So many times people say, Well, how could God die? How could He be crucified? If God takes on flesh, His flesh can die. Just like if I take on a spacesuit, my spacesuit can get messed up. Jesus takes on flesh, He allows that flesh to die. He said to them, I am a servant while I am here, but yet it's my choice to go through this. We're going to, get, to more into, uh, get more into that as we go through this. But think about the amu- amount of power that he has, that simply declaring his divinity throws back humanity to the ground. And yet, as they get back up, he asked them again, verse 7, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered them, I told you that I am he, or I am. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you have given me. And that came prior into the book of John where he had already spoken about that. Now look at verse 10 here. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And everybody think about this. Peter is the exact opposite of Judas, but he has so much in common with him. Judas is betraying one way. Peter is going to deny and betray another way. Both are the stick of betrayal, but one's on one side of the stick and the other one's on the other side. Or you could look at it as a coin. The coin is betrayal. One is heads, one is tails, but it's still betrayal. Judas' betrayal is that of a coward and someone that wanted his own way to be done and had lost all affection for Jesus. Peter's betrayal will have in commonality he wants something to be done that's not being done and there will be a little bit of cowardice there, but it's because he has lost faith, his heart is broken, and he doesn't understand what is happening with the one he loves. Both are sins, but Peter will come back at the end of the book of John, how many have read to the end, and be restored three times for the three three betrayals, and Judas will go and hang himself to die and most likely go in hell forever. What is the difference? Is that when you betray, you still may have a chance to make it right. Peter still has a little bit left in him that he can make it right. Right? Judas gave his whole heart over to evil to have no more chances. And so I want to share this with you as a side note before we go into our sermon today. If you have betrayed Jesus, if you have betrayed others, if you have made these kinds of sin in your life, and you are alive today in this place, and you have conviction in your heart, hear this preacher today. This is the mercy of God. You are given a chance right now to repent today before you leave this service. Get right with God. Tell your story to others that you've betrayed, and get right with them In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, come on, amen. I would rather be known as a Peter who messed up and gets restored than to be known as a Judas who messed up and quit and never made it right. Amen. Amen? That's why suicide is a devil's lie. Suicide does not take away pain. It just multiplies it to others. Judas did not solve his problem through suicide. He made it worse, and he cursed his name and brought reproach to his family and to all those who would know him. It would be better to be known as a Peter who had made a mistake and had made it right than to quit and to not see redemption. That's why I do prison ministry. I haven't done it recently, but I've done it quite often in my early days. And anyone here interested in that, Pastor Bertle would be your contact. He was the one that was most recent in our church going out to the prisons. And oftentimes they would want to tell us how innocent they were, and maybe they were, but that wasn't what I was there for. I was there to make sure their hearts were right with God. Because here's the deal. Even in prison, you can get a chance to get right with God. Can I hear an amen to that? We do not give up on people. As long as there's breath in the lungs, there's a chance of redemption. And so I'm so thankful that Peter will serve as an example as the story goes on. But I just want to take a moment here to, to, to clue us into it. Peter will be an example of someone who betrayed Jesus but came back. I've been baptized three times. I can relate to Peter. I was baptized once as a young child. I went to a Christian school. I memorized scripture, and they said, you're ready to be a Christian. So I got baptized. Yay, I'm eight, nine years old. I'm ready to do it. And some of my friends got baptized at that age and never looked back and were faithful to Jesus even unto this day, okay? I knew people like that. But for me, by the time I got in fifth grade, I started doing some bad things, breaking into my friends' houses. Yes, at fifth grade, my friend's house I broke into. (laughs) Do you know why I broke into my friend's house? Because we went to go play with them. He wasn't home, and then we said to ourselves, why don't we try to go into home and do our thing anyway? Because he had the best video games. So we broke in through the back. I'm not proud of this. How many know I'm not? I'm a fool, but I'm just saying this so you can know my past. So that's the way I was. And so we broke into his house in the backyard, going through the back door with a shovel that was left out, broke his door open, went into his house, ate his Pop-Tarts, because he always had the best Pop-Tarts, played his video games, and then left his house with a broken door. It was only but a day later that we get a knock on each of our houses. I got the one, you know, at my house by the police who said they saw all of us do this activity. Like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like you're watching three kids come to the house. They're there every day, and that's what we always used to play. And now you watch them take a shovel, break down a door. That's what happened. That was the first time I got arrested was in fifth grade. The next time was for a bunch of other bad things. So then I needed to get right with God. So around 15 years old, in the youth group, my friends were serving Jesus. Man, a new youth pastor came, PT. He's now gone home to be with the Lord. He uh, passed around what my age is now, in his 40s. He caught a brain aneurysm playing basketball, died right on the court. Hello, that's how short life is, people. Can I hear an amen to that? You better be ready. So around 15, PT is coming, new youth pastor preaching. My friends are getting saved. They're getting off their bad stuff. And so at that age, I'm like, man, I want Jesus. It was real. So then I got baptized again. I'm going hard for Jesus. Let's go. But that only lasted about one girlfriend later. (laughs) That only lasted about one time to go to a party later. I mean, a few months later, all I know is I'm back to smoking weed, doing drugs, selling drugs for the next few years. And then those years became the worst years of my life. And then it was at 18 years old, November 5th, 1995, at my mother's kitchen table, drugs in the pocket, living with a girl that I wasn't uh, married to, that Christ came into my heart, and that has never changed. I've been faithful to Jesus now for about 30 years. Can I hear an amen? God's been good. I don't know why it took so many times. (laughs) We're clapping for the loser because he finally got it. He finally got it. Good job, Pastor. Your third time. Yeah, you're amazing. Yeah, but how many are you here on your first time? Let's be honest. Not many of you are still on your first time. And the reason why we rebaptize is because you had to repent again. There's a repentance. We're not Catholics that differentiate between mortal and venial sins, but we do believe there's a sin you can sin against God in a relationship with Him. In other words, there's a sin that leads to a divorce, and then there's sinning as a Christian that God forgives. I have taught that here before. That's in 1 John. It's similar to the teaching of the Roman Catholics, but they don't have the Scripture on their side, and they go too far with it. But the Bible simply says that is a time in a Christian's life that they can make a decision to say, I don't want to be this anymore. And that's what I did two different times. So that's why we get re-baptized. I confess Christ again, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And now I can say that I know what it's like to be like Peter. Because Peter three times denied Christ. And it was then he became the man that he was from the day of Pentecost onwards. Can I hear an amen to that? And so we've all been there in some way. Not to say that you've necessarily denied Christ. But you know what I'm talking about if you've ever been a Christian and have broken God's commands, and you certainly can relate to me if you were once a backslider, a prodigal son or daughter. Yeah. Now, we see here that Peter cuts off the ear, and then Jesus says, what are you doing? And in another passage, what we would say the surround sound of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are known as the synoptics because they have the similar sound. They're in, they're in unison together. Talks about Jesus saying, those who live by the sword die by the sword. Well, does that mean we never pick up a sword? No, we're supposed to have swords. We're supposed to defend ourselves, as the Bible says. But if you live by the mindset that the sword solves your problems, you will never have a peaceful life. Because someone with a bigger sword will always come and attack you. The Bible talks about in Romans that the uh, the government carries the sword for our protection and our defense, and then if you go back into the Old Testament, it was meant for a reason, not to simply act out your own vengeance, not to simply be angry and handle your problems that way. You were supposed to trust the Lord, trust the government, and to work within the system, not just instantly do that. So we see that Peter is doing the wrong thing, though he's trying to show that I'm so different, I'm so different than Judas, yet in just a little while, the guy who's slicing off somebody's ear is going to be denying Christ to a girl see he will deal with the sin of cowardice and we can learn from him not to be like that but we also have to remember that you don't deal with the sin of fear and cowardice trying to be the most macho I don't know about you but it's oftentimes the one who talks the most about fighting are the first ones to run when the fight comes That's why generally when I would get into fights, I was always scared of the one that was the most quiet. (laughs) The ones that were loud mouthing, I never had my eye on that dude. It was always the dude behind that guy that was just sitting there. I'm being 100% with you. And one example that actually comes to mind because I was just talking about uh, this at at church, was these two guys were arguing at our basketball court, and they were arguing back and forth. But I knew my friend that was arguing with the other dude, I knew that he could take that dude. That wouldn't be a problem. I wish I could name their names right now. I I still remember their names. But the guy standing behind the dude that my friend was arguing with was one of the gangbangers of our, of our city. And he would come to church because his parents would make him. I had my eye on that guy, and he was saying nothing. Because I knew the moment that fight starts, that's the guy I'm worrying about, not this fight right here. And you see, my friends, it's not the talker that makes the difference. It's, it's the doer. Jesus wasn't looking for Peter to be like, I'm with you, I'm with you, yip, 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 yipping the whole time. No, he was looking for the one to stand next to him in a strong silence, and say, this is my, my boss, this is my Lord, I stand with him. But sadly, nobody did that. In a few moments, they're all going to start running. One's going to get so scared that as they try to grab him, they're going to grab his clothes, and he's going to say, okay, you can have my robe, and he runs away naked, the Bible says. They all flee from him. So here we see that. Peter had his chance to be strong, to stand next to his Savior, but he doesn't. He thinks this machismo is a good thing, but it's not. It's false uh, It's false uh, bravado. It's a pride. It's a fear. He's not thinking rationally. Verse 11, Jesus commanded Peter, put away your sword. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? That's what we're going to talk about in the next few moments, but let's finish the story. Then the detachment of soldiers, with its commanders and their Jewish officials, arrested Jesus Jesus they bound him brought him first to Ananias who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas the high priest that year Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man would die for the people and that was earlier in John chapter eleven forty-nine 49 through 51 quickly turn with me in your Bibles now to Luke chapter 22 verse 39 somebody say Jesus drank the cup when you look at Jesus here in the other Gospels, as we say, surround sound—they don't contradict each other; they complement each other. Look at Luke, chapter twenty-two, verse thirty-nine. You're going to see how Jesus prepared himself to drink the cup that was that was before him. Look at Luke chapter twenty-two, verse thirty-nine. Jesus went up as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, "Pray that you will not fall into what." Temptation. Brothers and sisters, we have to pray so that we can stay. The reason that God in the flesh prayed was to show us how to find our strength. Jesus prayed before that betrayal. While the disciples were sleeping, Jesus prays. He withdrew about a stone's throw behind them, uh, beyond them, knelt down and prayed. By the way, here's where we get the tradition for kneeling down. You won't find it many places in the Bible, but here is one. He knelt down and he prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Isn't that the prayer that he taught us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus now prays that same prayer. An angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like that of drops of blood falling to the ground. They have found out scientifically that, that that is medically possible under certain conditions of, sp- of stress and of blood vessels um, exploding because of the amount of stress that someone is under. When he rose from prayer, went back to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Jesus prayed. Jesus stayed. Disciples fell asleep and They left. Jesus had a cup to drink, and that cup was the cup of, of suffering. Jesus said to the Father, If there is any other way, think of the cup as being the plan of God. If there is any other way for the plan of redemption to happen other than this, please do it. But nonetheless, your will be done, not my will. Go to John chapter 1. We've been now in the book of John as a series. For almost two years. We started October 2021. We'll see if we can make it all the way to October 23. But notice this in John chapter 1. When John the Baptist sees Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 29. That next day John, talking about John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was coming to be the Lamb. And according to the Jewish scriptures, what happens to the Lamb? It's sacrificed. Come on, brothers and sisters. What happens to the lamb? It's sacrificed. How real is Jesus' emotions there in the book of Luke when he says, Father, if there's another way, have it be done. Do you think he's playing make-believe? Or do you think he's praying a real prayer? I think he is. I believe, as the Bible says, he was touched by humanity and always like us, except for sin. I take that at its face value. I believe that Christ knows what it's like to feel fear, temptation, the anguish, the sorrow, the pain, and he's saying to the Father, if there's another way, just let me know and I'll do it. But I'm not here to find the easy way, I'm not here to have my will. I'm here to have your will. And so here's what I would like to share with you in the next few moments is learning from Jesus to take on the cup of suffering when it's your turn. Look quickly to Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. This may not be the most happiest message you've heard in a while, but how many are ready to suffer for Jesus? How many will carry your cross? Amen. I wish I could preach to you today about prosperity, blessing, and all the good days of a Christian. But I cannot pass through the narration of Jesus' suffering and now not apply it to our lives. Wouldn't, that just be, wouldn't I just be a bad pastor if I did that? Some of us need to say to our, our pastor friends who never teach us about the cup of suffering, shame on you because all of you taught us is the good days. I have friends that are in the military, friends that are police officers, fl- friends that work at the jails, that are there as sheriffs. Man, how dare I come up here on a Sunday and say every day is going to be a good day. You're never going to face any trouble and hardship. Some of you deal in the customer service industry, and that might just be as bad as being a police officer. <laughs> Some of you take those calls from people that hate what's going on. Hello, this is Comcast. How may I help you? Comcast, I hate you. you know, Pastor Joe, is that you? <laughs> yes, I've been guilty of going off on Comcast before. Seriously, man, and you may deal with that. And and how dare us as Christians to make your life to seem like it's always going to be a yellow brick road. Oh, you know what? All that suffering, that's just for Jesus. Well, and every now and then the disciples. And every now and then some Christians around the world and maybe somebody else in America that had a bad day. But not for you. Because you came to this church, and you gave in the offering, and you're always going to have a good day. You always get the promotion. Hey, look at yourself in the mirror and tell it to yourself, I'm a winner. You're a winner. You know, I mean, we should say shame on our pastors for doing that. I had a sister in my backyard the other day with her family. It was during a Memorial Day. We had an impromptu get-together. And uh, if I could share a little bit of it, uh, just anonymously here, she, uh, she lost her, her mother to suicide. And drugs and addiction had been, or her brother, rather, to suicide, her mother to murder. And she had grown up with that. So watch that. A, a brother is uh, suicidal, takes his life. Mother is murder. I mean, this is the pain the family is under. And she's saying that when I was a Christian, I was told this stuff's not supposed to happen. I was told this is not supposed to I, I've come to church. I've paid my tithes. I'm blessed. I've sung the songs. I'm supposed to go out there and nothing goes wrong. And I said to her, on behalf of pastors, we apologize. I repent. So this is one of those messages now that you found yourself in. Jesus is about ready to go to the cross. This is not merely just going to be a bad weekend for Jesus. This is going to be his entire creation taking a stand with demons to say, we would rather kill you than give you back control of this place. Think about that. As oftentimes as I mentioned this example, it sounds ridiculous, but really it's a good example to make. Imagine the creator of Bart Simpson's watching Bart Simpson become AI, aware of everything, and then wanting to take over the whole world. And then the creator goes, you know what, I got an idea. I'll come into the world of the Bart Simpson world, and I'll, I'll reason with them, and I'll do miracles for them. I'll do all the power and signs and wonders for them, and then they'll listen. And instead of listening, they kill you in the cartoon." This is now not even close to the kind of immense disrespect we give towards God. We, are not even, we can't even be compared to a cartoon to God. A cartoon at least has already come from the mind of a man. We would not even exist without God wanting us to exist. We would have no knowledge of existence. We would have no knowledge of up from down, right from wrong. God is God in his own divinity, his own nature. And yet he makes something outside of himself to have relationship with, and we break that covenant. And then we break his heart. And then what does he do all throughout that Old Testament? He shows us how we need to get back. But every chance he gives us, we fail. That's why, my brothers and sisters, if you're looking for me to be your Savior, been there, done, that's already messed up. His name was Samson. (laughs) Well, my pastor is busy, big, and strong, and handsome, he's going to help me. I need him. No, we already tried that with Samson. He had sex with a bunch of women, beat up the wrong guys all the time, and got drunk and partied. See, that's what just happened with Hillsong and these guys. Anybody watching the Hillsong expose on FX? That will help wake you up to what's going on behind the scenes in most churches right now. They're not just mega churches. They're mega messes. Well, we just need another tight pant wearing, you know, $300 Nike wearing, you know, hipster pastor, and that's our answer. Pastor, be my buddy. Hold my hand through life. Make me feel good about myself. Nope, been there, done that. David, he didn't do it very well. You see what the Old Testament is? Get this in your mind. What is the Old Testament? The Old Testament is showing us every single way you think you can save yourself, you will fail. Imagine seeing David, man. I mean, David is like the guy everybody wants. He's a king. He's truly the one that has had honor up until this point. He takes on the bully, Goliath. He's he's suffered wrongfully under Saul, so he's a man of integrity. And yet all it took was one season. The Bible says the kings went to war. And David said, man, I'll sit this one out. I've been to war enough. And while he's chilling on his balcony, he sees Uriah's wife, Beersheba, and goes, Man, get me that one, boys. I'm getting bored over here. Has sex with her, gets her pregnant. She says, Oh, David, I'm pregnant. He says, Man, I'm gonna fix this. Calls Uriah, the soldier, the warrior, the brave one, to come off the battlefield to have sex with his wife so he can cover it up. David can say, Well, you're the father. And then the soldier has more integrity than David. He goes, man, I can't go home and sleep with my wife. My fellow soldiers are on the battlefield dying. I'll sleep in a tent in my front yard before I'll do that. And then what does David then say to the commander? Put Uriah at the worst part of battle and then retreat back and let him take them all on himself. And then when he falls, we'll say it was an accident. That's how David, that man, went from being a righteous warrior to turning on his friends. I wish I could tell you stories about pastors that I've known like that, even people who have left our church. Pastor, I'm going to this church. This dude's amazing. It's like he's their David. This is my David. This is, And the next thing you hear about that man cheating with that dude's wife. That's touching that man's wife now in other ways, that man stealing their money. One of the young people who left this church to go to another church said this pastor was so much nicer and all of that. By the end of that church, before that guy had to get kicked out, he was cussing his staff out all the time. And that was the place that my disciple, by God's grace, who we won to the Lord from my wife's job and through the friendships that we had here, that dude ended up going to a place where they cussed him out and called it Christianity. See, what does the world show you? What does the Old Testament show you? You can't save yourself. But now watch this. Here comes Jesus. Jesus is not like David. He's better than David. Jesus is not like Samson. He's better than Samson. And what do we do to him, y'all? We crucify him. And yet, where, where is he at? Where is he at in Luke? He's praying. And he's saying, Father, if there is another way, show me the way out of this. See, David took the other way. Samson took the other way. Adam and Eve took the other way. You, you, you can look at all of our fallen heroes in the Bible. That's why when I talk to Muslims, they try to say, see, our Muhammad was like this, which, by the way, he was the worst. He was the pedophile, and they try to make excuses for it. But they have this kind of like this weird honor where none of our Old Testament saints can have failures. So they say, and, and in their own foolishness, that the Jewish people made this up about their own people, and that now in the Quran they're going to correct all the mistakes. It's one of their deceptions. It's just let you know that. But here's the thing. True Christians, true Jewish people admit the mistakes of our our leaders. You know why? Because they're not our saviors. I don't have to cover it up and look back at David's life and say, oh, that was a lie. No, that's not true. That's what the Muslim does. Oh, that's not true because we're ashamed of David. No, 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 no. Yes, what David did was shameful, but I'm not ashamed of a God that forgave a David. Can I hear an amen? I'm not ashamed of a God that gave Samson another chance. I'm not ashamed of a God who was patient with Israel as one king after another, after another, after another made those mistakes. That's why with Islam, the same thing with Catholicism, whenever you exalt a man, everybody will sit back and laugh as that man falls. Our popes are perfect. Yeah, let's look back in history and see how that went. Now they make shows about these popes and what they did. Some were homosexual, some were rapists, all these. Yeah, we have a perfect man. He's the pope. And to the pope, I say, no. Oh, we have a perfect man. His name's Muhammad. You mean the raping, enslaving, pedophiling? That's your guy. No, we did, as Christians, we should sit back and laugh whenever somebody exalts a man. I was riding my a bike one day down Fullerton, and there was a man that claimed to be Jesus on a poster board. I'm like, what is this? I'm like, Chicago got a little bit of call to action going here. Right there on Fullerton, Adidas. It's probably still there. The guy's dead now. So I walked in there, and I said, I got to see this. Tell me who you think is Jesus. So then they give me a book about his life story. You want to talk about the definition of a cult leader and a sex cult? That's your guy. So once I realized that and I started talking with them, I'm like, you're telling me your guy is a reincarnation of Jesus. The Jesus who lived a single life treated people with honor and respect where your guy is having the parties of a rock star in the name of religion. Yeah, you got the wrong Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Jesus said, I'll take on the suffering. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to take on Mary Magdalene to be my wife. He doesn't say, I'm going to be a king and be hoisted around here. I'm going to be a Muhammad and now take over lands with force. He doesn't say, I'm going to now be your guru and have flowers put around his neck and gold thrown at his feet like an Indiana Jones temple. No, he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be treated like a dog drug half-naked through the streets, beaten and bloodied, betrayed by everyone that I've made and created, to be left alone to die, and then at those moments, while I'm there, instead of having compassion on me, those will mock me, spit on me. That's what he said I'll choose. Brothers and sisters, if he chose that, how dare we now complain about our cup of suffering? Do you understand? Oh, God, I... I want a church of a 1,000 people, but they keep leaving. I only have a few hundred. God, you don't know what it feels like to be a pastor and to suffer. How many know God looks at me and goes, I know exactly what it feels like times a million? Oh, God, I've been cheated on. They've heard me. They've said this about me. I don't know if you understand. Yes, God. He says, I understand. They've, they've done these things. They've, yes, and I'm even talking now about serious things, from abuse to all of these things. God understands. God understands. God understands the depth of all of human wickedness on the cross. If he did not experience it personally, he then experiences it spiritually while the demons throw on him, molestation, rape, abuse. All that brings sorrow was put upon him to make him want to quit on humanity. For, for him to want to now say, I'm done, Satan, you have it. Which is another story why I think Satan fights so much, though he already knows he's defeated. I believe Satan's plan, this is just me. Like I said, you get three theologians together, and how many opinions will there be? Four, yeah, and they'll all disagree with each other. Somebody in there will be double-minded. That's why there's four, just in case you didn't get it. Well, I'm somewhat between these two decisions. Why is Satan fighting the way he does? Here's my best guess. Satan's fighting the way he does because he wants God to change his final judgment. How can he get God to change his final judgment? By getting more of his creation to be judged on that day with him. So in other words, it's him getting people to sign the protest. It's getting people to sign the injunction. How many think that we should allow this to happen? Please sign here. Okay, I'll sign here, right? So Satan on judgment day, I believe, wants to say, God, look. Look, it's not just me. It's not just a third of the angels. Look at how much of humanity now you must punish. Give us all another chance because, see, you don't want to send us all to hell, do you? That's what I think Satan's plight is. Satan wants God to change his mind about final judgment. That's what I think, and that's why he wants us to join with him. Evil is what he's using to get to his end. It's not just evil for evil's sake, like he's this little sinister. The Bible says he appears as an angel of light. He was created as a beautiful creature. His deception to use evil is to get us to turn against God. He is a traitor. And that's the same thing that was in Judas' heart. Well, if even I'm wrong, guess what? Jesus is going to start shooting down lightning as we betray him. Then he'll become the king. So I'm going to force Jesus' hand. He's been too gentle up until this point. So even if I'm wrong about what I do, hopefully good will come out of it. And as he sees Jesus take the pain, as he sees Jesus take all that the world throws, he then says, well, I'm going to kill myself. I just betrayed an innocent man. That's why he goes back and throws the money down. And that's what I think Satan will be like. Satan will be like Judas at the judgment day. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry. Look at all that we did. I'm sorry. But I only did it because I didn't want to go to hell myself. Brothers and sisters, I don't know how many chances you and I will get to make this right on this earth. But I pray when your cup of suffering, you do not walk away from it, you embrace it. Matthew, quickly, as Daryl comes, the sermon will have to be a little bit shorter than the introduction. Matthew 16, 24, what did Jesus say? Whoever wants to be my disciple must take up their cross, or rather must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. When your cup of suffering comes, I pray that you do not deny Christ for an easy road out. I just got a few moments to make this hit home, brothers and sisters. I pray that it encourages encourages you and I today. Yeah, I have a great marriage by God's grace coming up on 18 years. 18 years, praise God. Amen. But if my wife betrayed me, Would I walk away from God and say, man, I thought now that I'm a pastor, now that I'm a Christian, I would never have that happen to me again. It's, you know, it can't happen twice, right? One of the pastors that I look up to the most right now in this country, I can't even say his name because it would be too large of a scandal yet for everyone to know. But let me just tell it to you like this, as good as I can. As much as you see me as a man of God, and as much as you respect my wife as a woman of God, and as much as you've seen our life over years, almost 20 years serving the Lord, that's what their life was like. Wife left the pastor's husband for another woman and is now living a lesbian lifestyle. If you think for one moment it can't happen to you, you have not seen the kind of people bad things happen to. Do not be naive. Do not be. Do not say to yourself, well, I'm a Christian. I got a bubble. It couldn't happen to me. I'm not saying we walk around distrusting people. I'm just here today on a beautiful Sunday, which I have like three different plans, and I'm deciding what to do. This is going to be an amazing day. How many are ready to enjoy this day, right? Like this is an amazing day. But I just want to say this. I just want to say this. Before we launch out into that day, I am preparing you for a day where a cup of bitterness, a cup of suffering will come to you. If it is not today, if it is not this week, if it is not this, it will come at some time. And it may come from the form of a betrayal from somebody you love. It could come through the death of somebody that you love. It could come through the loss of a job. I remember praying with people like at altars like this during the recession. One of my friends, he was doing woodworking for the governor. I believe he did over a million dollars worth of woodworking. when bankrupt, tears streaming down his face as a 50-year-old man going, I don't know what to do. Pray for me. Praise God. He was now saying he makes more than he's ever made before as selling insurance, of all things. But he had a cup right in front of him. Do I drink it with Jesus or do I just toss it aside and try to find an easier way out? Whenever your bad day comes, brothers and sisters, take it with Jesus. My mom was walking around here somewhere. Can someone grab her and bring her up here? Come on up here. Let's give it up for my mom as she comes. Can someone hand her a mic, please, as she comes up here? Mama, they're going to give you a mic right here. I surprised with my family, my mama, for her 80th birthday, December. She turned 80 years old. Come on up here. Let's give it up for my mom right here. This is what 80 looks like when you bless. blessed. Hallelujah. Man, My man, dad's man. somewhere. Jesus. I want you to tell me, what was the date that Jenny passed away?
1: I think it was uh, July 20th.
0: Okay. July 20th. Let's say the night before. We all go to bed. I'm on break from Bible college. What time did you get the call?
1: Five in the morning.
0: Five in the morning. Her second daughter, third child for me, fourth with my dad but from that marriage her third child died in a car accident drinking and driving mom came to my bedroom Mm. to tell me and then within moments as I'm getting up to the hearing that my sister has died drinking and driving, what do we do next as I'm getting up out of bed, we're then going to our knees praying, there was a cup in front of my mom at that moment That she could either drink with Jesus through the suffering of life or she could say, I don't want Jesus anymore. This costs too much. I would rather say that there is no God than to deal with the pain of losing my daughter. But I want you to hear from her own words. What did you do over that season of loss as you had to deal with your daughter dying?
1: Well, I just had to cling to Jesus and I knew that grief had come upon me and I didn't know how God was going to take it away. But day by day, as I leaned on him, I couldn't even pray. So I just thanks for, thankful for the saints of God that held me up in prayer because I was so devastated and so torn. I couldn't even pray. But people held me up in prayer. And day by day, the Lord was just healing my heart and healing my heart. And to this day, there's no tears for my daughter. There's no celebration of her birthday. There's no celebration of when she died because Jesus has completely healed my heart and taken away all the grief. That's a miracle. Amen. Because she was the baby of the first three.
0: Amen. Let's all stand up and get ready to close out in prayer. Thank you, Mama. I preached about Jesus saying he was willing to take that cup of suffering. I know we got second service back there. They're a rowdy bunch. So we're going to end quickly for you guys, okay? Sorry. Altar workers and band, would you come, please?